This week's episode of Mind Theater is a video essay. For the full experience of the show, click the first link in the show notes. Thanks. Adapting a well-known story from a prolific author can be bitter, bitter work. It's a tall task to create something both unique and singular, while also retaining what made that original so great in the first place. And so it helps when adapting the father of modern drama that the visuals are just as dramatic. I don't think I've ever seen a greater marriage between director, cinematographer, and production designer than in this movie, The Tragedy of Macbeth, a movie in which the visuals not only are stunning, but they help in creating a deeper connection between the two mediums it exists within, theater and cinema. One of the major things Cohen stressed in the early stages of pre-production for Macbeth was wanting to preserve the plainness of the original text, the theatrical presentation of the material. Uninterested in creating a realistic depiction of Scotland, he placed heavy emphasis on abstraction, simplistic forms, hard lighting, and geometry, minimal yet poetic visuals that, in their lucidity, work in revealing the deeper emotions of the characters. There's no furniture in Macbeth's castle. Not much anyways. Flat, barren stone walls reach upward towards impossibly high, open ceilings. Painted backdrops give us illusionary glances into the empty voids of implied rooms and Scottish lands abound. Curved, monolithic archways give way to large volumes of light pouring over the cobblestone pathways. It's in this design that Cohen, DP Bruno Del Bonnell, and production designer Stefan Duchamp sought to preserve the artifice of theater, conceptualizing both interiors and exteriors in their most simplistic forms possible, as is often the case in more abstract drama. Not a castle, but the idea of a castle. We immediately understand that the setting is not a realistic, lived-in space. It's a place to perform and perform they do. As an aside, we know this concept of abstraction from other forms of art, mainly painting and sculpture, the use of often simplistic lines, colors, forms, and gestural marks in a way that untethers us from realistic depictions and the overwhelming detail of the material world. In this case, it's not a complete abstraction, only partially. The forms are still recognizable. In Macbeth, this abstraction augments the terrain. You might expect rolling green pastures and staggering rocky cliffs, overlooking expansive ocean bays, or hefty medieval halls adorned with decorative ornamentation and regal opulence. Instead, the environments in the tragedy are desolate, flat, two-dimensional, and uninviting, yet still mesmerizing in their profound beauty. Despite their simplicity, you can tell that painstaking work went into crafting this film's world. Working on a tight deadline to produce 33 sets in 10 weeks, production designer Duchamp used a mix of hand drawings and 3D renderings to sketch out the vision that Cohen saw within his mind's eye. The end result are images that are just as striking as the finished product, while still retaining that theatrical abstraction and presentation when they come to life. If it looks like this was shot on a soundstage, that's because it was. The massive Crossroads exterior, shot on stage 16 at Warner's, stretches to about 30,000 feet long. It's here that they were able to build a landscape with the feeling of Scotland, if it were transported to an ominous, nebulous void, that is. 
Another thing to note about the visuals is Del Bunnell's use of a vague, often unjustified lighting, creating the effect of scenes that look like they can be happening at either day or night, which becomes rather intriguing as a narrative element. We see Macbeth's character constantly wrestling between light and shadow, which is as wavering as his conviction is, as artificial. Shooting on sound stages allowed them to control this variable of light, as well as the use of large volumes for interior scenes. Walls and furniture on wheels that they were able to push in and out of frame to create the staging they needed to craft such evocative, striking images. This, along with the overwhelming presence of fog in the exterior scenes, adds to this mystical, untethered-from-reality look. This abstract portrayal of Scotland removed from time or even place. It frames the conflict as one that's taking place within the minds of the characters themselves, as tormented and distraught from their ensuing grief as they are. It's sobering, really. The interiors especially feel both empty but also immensely monumental. Their staggering stature weighing heavily on the shoulders of Macbeth, amplifying his moment of troubled contemplation before the deed and his ensuing, all-consuming anguish after it. It's this stark, simplistic beauty of the world design that fades into the background, allowing Shakespeare's detailed, textual beauty to shine in all of its profound glory. Present fears are less than horrible imaginings. My thought, whose murder yet is but fantastical, shakes so my single state of man that function is smothered in surmise, and nothing is but what is not. If chance will have me king, why chance may crown me without my stir. Come what come may, time in the hour runs through the roughest day. As much as this movie leans on the drama of theater to construct its world, it borrows from a number of cinematic influences as well. Black and white films from Sunrise to Night of the Hunter to Gunnar Fischer's cinematography in The Seventh Seal. They all served as heavy visual references for Cohen and Del Bunnell during the early production stages. One of the greatest examples being Joan of Arc, which the tragedy also borrows its Academy aspect ratio from. A ratio whose impact is felt most during the film's many close-ups. It's through close-ups that the artificiality of the sets disappears, and the text, through way of the face, is brought to the forefront. Close-ups obviously don't exist in theater, so in this film, they serve to reinforce Cohen's point of view, his desire to keep the language of cinema contained within the walls of a theatrical story. It's the place where the drama becomes even more dramatic. Another visually obvious technique you'd be hard-pressed to find in theater is the use of black and white, which aids in this abstract portrayal, adding layers of darkness to the details. One thing to note about color versus black and white for a film like this is that in color you begin to see the limitations of such minimal, empty sets. In black and white, those limits become textural in nature, add depth with their inclusion. You see there's quite a bit of artifice in the cinematic as well. It's the summation of these details that really makes the tragedy of Macbeth feel so powerful to me. The color, the aspect ratio, the abstraction of imagery, it's quite an impressive visual feast. One that, as I mentioned before, blurs the lines between the theatrical and the cinematic. One that can really only be achieved if you have a clear visual goal from the onset. 
It's in films like The Tragedy of Macbeth that I'm reminded how modern audiences are still aching for dramatic, powerful stories. And when it comes to Shakespeare, there's more than plenty to choose from. Cohen's lens, with the help of his many friends, highlights the drama that's already there, and how much of what we consider beautiful in cinema and theater is shaped by the many influences and inspirations that came before. They don't make films like The Tragedy of Macbeth often, so when they do, the best thing that you can do, that I can do anyways, is stand in awe and fully appreciate them. That I may pour my spirits in thine ear and chastise with the valor of my tongue all that impedes thee from the golden round. Mind Theater is a solo effort producer written by me, Ayo Akinbade. For updates on the show, as well as my other content, follow Mind Theater Pod on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. If you want to show monetary support, the Kofi link is in the show notes. Thanks for listening. I'll catch you next time.